Welcome to the Food Foundation podcast, the award-winning voice of the charity which campaigns for better access to healthy food for every child in the UK. I'm Dominique Wolfe, author of Dominique's Kitchen and winner of the Jamie Oliver Great Cookbook Challenge on Channel 4. And in the fifth episode of this series on the broken plate, the Food Foundation's annual report on the state of the nation's food system, we're talking about the impact of sugary cereals and yogurts on children's dental health. And then you look just that little bit closer and realise these little, you know, these fromage tray, you might as well give them a Mars bar. Rebecca Toby is the Senior Business and Investor Engagement Manager at the Food Foundation and reminds us why the Broken Plate is such a vital stocktake of our food system. So what we are trying to do with Broken Plate is really um, look uh, in quite a lot of detail at the food environment. So the world that surrounds us, you know, on our high streets, on our supermarket shelves, on the television and media that we watch and consume, we really want to unpick what sorts of foods are being made available, appealing and affordable. Um, And what Broken Plate finds is that actually the healthier options are very often the hardest ones to find and come with a with a price tag that places them out of reach for for many people, particularly low-income households. The report breaks its findings and recommendations into 15 metrics, the fifth of which is the availability of low-sugar options in key children's food categories. Rebecca explains what that looks like on the shelves of our supermarkets. What this metric looks at is uh, yogurts and cereals that are marketed towards children. So those that are specifically made appealing or marketed towards children, whether through you know cartoon characters on the boxes um, or other means of advertising. Um, and the reason we look at cereals and yogurts are that these are foods that Lots of families and caregivers will very often give to their kids in the belief that these are healthy products. Um, And it's important to say that they very much can be healthy products um, or, you know, often are staples of of family diet. So yogurt, for example, is a great source of calcium and dairy. Cereals can be a really good way to to start your day and can be high in fibre and whole grain. However, we know that not many yogurts and cereals are as healthy as they really ought to be. So what this metric shows is that um, in 2023, just 7% of breakfast cereals and 8% of yogurts marketed towards children were low in sugar. Um, And that's a very small percentage. And when we look back and compare that to last year's analysis, very little had changed. So there was no change for cereals. There was a slight improvement um, in terms of low sugar yogurts that were available. So that had gone from 4% to 8% of the sample. Um, But that's still really low. Um, And that's really concerning because we know that you know, sugar um, is not only a, a source of calories and so can increase the risk of um, overweight and obesity, but it's also not great for teeth. Um, and we know that dental decay is a real issue for children in the UK. On average, British children consume double the recommended amount of sugar, as Rebecca says, contributing to two of the greatest health issues facing children in the UK, unhealthy weight and tooth decay. And the broken plate puts this at the door of the abundance of cheap, commercially produced high sugar foods. Eddie Crouch is the chair of the British Dental Association and describes what dentists see in young children who come to their surgeries. It's really quite tragic sometimes. We're seeing children who've never presented themselves before, who've got holes in their teeth, are in pain, are very frightened. Um, the management of these children is incredibly difficult. Uh, they've probably had 
multiple courses maybe of antibiotics from other healthcare professionals or they've had a series of nights where they've not slept, um, where they haven't been able to eat properly. Um, it, it, it really is so distressing. And often, sadly, we can't do anything for them on the high street and we have to refer them into the hospital service and they may have a long wait for that treatment. And that means yet another diet-related burden on the already buckling NHS. What we know is, sadly, tooth decay is the number one reason that a child actually goes into hospital. And we know 42,000 children last year had extractions and the cost to the NHS is in the millions. Prevention of this obviously would be a healthy diet. Um, So the NHS would benefit significantly from much lower content of sugars in, in food. Um, and all of these problems that the NHS is dealing with are completely preventable with a healthy diet. Dental health is vital for children to thrive in and out of school. Eddie Crouch says that the health of the nation is an issue for every citizen. We know that uh, tooth decay and oral health problems cause a massive problem within school and within learning of children. We, we lost about 60,000 days uh, in one year for children who are suffering with tooth decay. And this is incredibly disruptive on their education. Um, we also know that Sadly, through health inequalities, it is children who are from the lowest um, economic background that suffer more with tooth decay. And it is those parents that struggle to actually buy healthy foods um, and probably will go for some of these heavily marketed, heavily reduced products on the shelves, which are actually the worst for their children's teeth. Uh, We need change to that and we need significant change to that. Zoe Davis is a nutritionist at Action on Sugar, which has partnered with the Food Foundation on this campaign for four years. They looked at the nutrients and sugar content in cereals and yoghurts with child-appealing packaging. Uh, We started um, with their first survey in 2019, um, just looking at cereals that had packaging that would appeal to children. And we did that for the following year. Um, But then in 2021, we also included yogurts to that. So um, it's looking at packaging that might have, say, cartoon characters on there, um, animation, or it might be a combination of things such as a cereal with um, like jumping out of the bowl with bright colours, animation um, and bubble writing, for example. Um, Real clear differences between that and what you'd say an adult product um, is where it's just it's just a plain plain product think oats or flakes for example so the majority of them were either high or medium in sugar uh, which is totally inappropriate for children cereals high in sugar have decreased over the years um, but the number of low sugar cereals hasn't increased it's it's stayed very low it's important to to consider as well that the traffic light labeling criteria it's based on an adult not a child so many that are coming in as amber are still unnecessarily or inappropriately high for a child so although we have seen improvements um in the sugar so for example um, in in the cereals between 2019 and 2020, we saw that the sugar had decreased, and then 
since then, it's stayed relatively steady. And that's maybe coincidentally, but it's at the same time as the sugar reduction programme finished. So in 2020 and in 2020. Um, and then since then, yeah, there's there's been very, very slight changes, um, not enough to improve child health, to improve dental decay. The work that Action on Sugar has done has already made a difference. But while the manufacturers appear to listen, voluntary change is just not good enough. When we first started, it was all cartoon characters. Companies made a big song and dance about removing them, which is great. But what we found when we reviewed it following years, they were still having the child appealing packaging. So, for example, removing the cartoon characters, but then putting the packaging in a comic book style packaging. That's That still screams child appealing. So what we want is the marketing to be responsible. We want parents not to be misled. Packaging or, or cereals and yogurts only to be put in child appealing packaging if they are healthy. So we want government to take child health seriously. We want them to put policies in place to reduce sugar, um, not only in cereals and yogurts, but across all the categories to improve health. And for parents trying to feed their children on a tight budget, sometimes the persuasive powers of those cereal packets is just one fight too many. If the packaging is appealing to children, not only does it say to parents or to those buying the products, this is suitable for children, also when the children are in store, there's that pester power. There's there's your child filling your cardigan going, I want that one, I want that one, and you're already stressed, you're busy, you're, you're going to just be like, oh, fine, whatever, put it, put it in the basket. Kathleen Kerridge is an adult food ambassador at the Food Foundation and reports from the front line of food insecurity. She helps her daughter regularly with her 15-month-old grandson. But despite campaigning for better access to healthy food for every child in the UK, she confesses to making the same assumptions about kids' cereals and yoghurts as most parents and carers. I mean, we give him Weetabix, just whole Weetabix, and, or should I say wheat biscuits, I suppose. But other than that, cereal-wise, we steer clear of a lot of things because I am aware of the sugar in cereals because there's been so much campaigning going on around it in recent years from muesli to granola to everything that you perceive as being healthy and good for you and you find out it's got 10 times the amount of sugar as say a wheat waffle cereal you know and that was startling to hear when that first came out and yogurts, again, you know, these are, they're brightly coloured, they're packaged, you know, and they're so attractive and you know they're for children and you have an assumption that these companies are making them good for children because there's calcium and nutrition and, you know, they're getting fruit and everything else. And then you look just that little bit closer and it's quite humbling after all of these years working in food 30 years parenting to realize these little yogurts you know these from our tray you might as well give them a mars bar so they're now going to be very much rationed 
but prior to talking to you today I did read up and I was quite appalled to realise just how much sugar is in everything across it. It was quite mind-blowing actually because I had never really paid attention because I assumed it's children's food, of course that's not going to be in it. And the might of marketing of some of those cereals and yoghurts can blind even the most health-aware of parents. Eddie Crouch, the chair of the British Dental Association. Yeah, well, uh, I've got two grandchildren. One is nine and one is six. And I, I was absolutely horrified when I saw that my daughter, who knows an awful lot about oral health because of her background, um, was buying these products, sold to her as being healthy alternatives. And often she said, well, you know, these, these have got natural sh- uh, sugars in them. They've got fruit in them you know these are healthy products and when i pointed out to her that it didn't matter where the sugar came from the damage to her children's teeth and my grandchildren's teeth was going to be exactly the same she was horrified too because she was convinced that the marketing that she had seen um, was true uh, and and that it was healthy products that she was feeding to her children, which she wanted to do. Zoe Davis from Action on Sugar says that it's not the parents' fault. No one actively looks to uh, give their children unhealthy food, um, but there's an overwhelming number of products out there and you would assume these products are appropriate for children, especially when combined with other marketing tactics such as health claims, high in fibre, good for calcium... In contrast to foods like cakes and confectioneries, yoghurt and cereals are everyday foods. They're foods that parents will give their children in the belief that they are part of a healthy diet, um, a healthy breakfast. So they're not expecting them to be high in hidden sugars. And we say hidden sugars because of all this marketing that's going on. Who has time to just stand in the supermarket and look at the back of pack? So we want to make it easier for parents to buy these suitable, healthy products for children. The government programme calling on businesses to voluntarily reduce the sugar content has resulted in a decrease, but not nearly enough. Rebecca Toby says that the power for change lies in reformulation of recipes, but there has to be regulation. We'd really like to see more reformulation uh, taking place at a much greater pace by businesses. Um, And we have seen some improvements over the past few years. So the government has had a voluntary reformulation programme, and that included um, cereals and and yoghurts as a part of that. And so both of those categories have seen a decrease in the amount of sugar they contain, but both yoghurts and cereals miss the 20% reduction of sugar target that the government had set. We know evidence shows that voluntary initiatives are far less effective than mandatory initiatives because there's no real um, incentive for for businesses to to take action. It's entirely done on a voluntary basis. Um, And there are no consequences if businesses don't hit those targets in, in a voluntary deal. Um, so, you know, really to see the action that we need to see happen um, in terms of reformulating categories such as yogurts and cereals that are high in sugar, we need mandatory programmes. Um, one of the things we ha- were very hopeful about was the Food Data Transparency Partnership. Um, and that was something that the government committed to as part of their food strategy, which was in response to Henry Dimbleby's independent report. Um And what they committed to do was establish a process by which large food businesses, so those that have over 250 employees, they would have to report and disclose transparently 
uh, data against a sort of whole set of, of health metrics. Um, and that could, for example, include things like um, what percentage of sales come from foods that are high in salt, sugar and fat. Um, we were very disappointed when the government then reversed their commitment to um, doing that. So what we have now is the FDDP is progressing, which is encouraging, um, but the health working group will um, will only be run on a voluntary basis. So yet again, we're likely to have a series of metrics that some food businesses will abide by, mostly the responsible ones. But because it's not mandatory, there's no guarantee that companies will need to report um, or disclose any data on those health metrics. It will be entirely voluntary. And so we are concerned that it would it will be much less um, much less effective. And that's a real shame because that could have been one route to to really driving the change we need to see at the pace we need it to happen um, when it comes to things like the sugar content of foods marketed towards children. The broken plate says that the majority of retailers are not actively assessing the volume of sugar they sell, let alone reducing it. We've heard how it sparked calls for tighter regulation in the industry. And Eddie Crouch sees a real opportunity for extending this to cereals and yogurts. We, we see the benefits of, of for example, uh, the sugar tax on, on fizzy drinks. Uh, it's seen a significant reduction in the amount of sugar that children are consuming through fizzy drinks. And we really think that that should be extended to other products which are containing unhealthy levels of sugar that are causing harm rather than causing children to be healthy. Uh, and so an extension of the sugar tax across all sorts of food products that have sugar added to them and labelling that actually informs the people that are buying the products just how unhealthy the sugary snacks, cereals and yoghurts are. The Food Foundation is calling for the government to introduce mandatory reformulation. In the meantime, it's launched a Kids Food Guarantee dashboard to track progress on the availability and affordability of healthy foods. Rebecca Toby. We have built on our work in this metric um, by looking at the price of uh, yogurts and cereals as well. So we're very concerned. Um, you know, we know that a lot of families are really struggling at the minute with the cost of living crisis. You know, levels of food insecurity remain staggeringly high. Um, and we know that you're at much greater risk of food insecurity um, if you have children. And so what we've tried to do is um, we have our kids food guarantee and this sets out, um, it's a set of asks, um, it's essentially a roadmap of actions that we'd like to see retailers and manufacturers taking to, to ensure that um, their customers, particularly those from low income groups who have children, um, are insulated from the worst effects of the cost of living crisis. So what we don't want to happen is that families are pushed into buying the cheapest version of products and that that means that um, they're having to trade down in health and nutrition. So ideally, the cheapest products for key categories that we know families very much depend on um, should also be the healthiest. Trading down in price needn't mean trading down in health. Um, and so we've looked specifically at yogurts and cereals as a part of tracking progress um, on our kids' food guarantee programme. Um, and what we found is that although it is very possible to find uh, yogurts that are very cheap, and um, particularly those sort of tiny pots, for example, of, of fromage frais, they're often very affordable, but they're not always the lowest sugar ones. So uh, we looked at single portion yogurt pots because those are sort of convenient, you know, snackable op options and you may very well give give your kids yogurt as a snack when you're out and about. 
Um, we only found 13 yogurts in the entire sample of 372 products that were plain unsweetened yogurts. So the vast majority are being sweetened or flavoured with um, either added sugar or fruit puree or fruit juice, um, which the body treats sort of as a free sugar because it's sort of been broken down from the original fruit form. Um, and so that feels to us like a real opportunity area. You know, we need to be making plain unsweetened yogurts more readily available because there's just a total lack of products out there. But also we need to make sure they're affordable. And actually we found a, a real price premium. So the average cost of a plain unsweetened yogurt pot was 83p. And that is compared to 65p for sweetened yogurts. So, you know, that that automatically straight away puts those healthy options out of reach for many. Um, and that's despite the fact that when we surveyed um, low-income households at the start of this year, 79% um, told us that they'd really like to see retailers making the healthiest kids' yogurts and cereals more affordable. Kathleen says it's not just regulation that the manufacturers need, but a good helping of morality. I think considering how much government intervention is involved in adult food consumption to make sure that we're all very aware of where our food comes from, how it's processed, what's in it. I do think the government have a responsibility to extend that to all foods that are consumed within the UK. Um, also, on top of that, I would say that the manufacturers if they're going to market something as being healthy, wholesome, good for your child, they must have a moral, if not a legal, responsibility to make sure that their product is healthy and wholesome and good as part of a healthy, balanced diet, which means taking out all of those unnecessary sugars. We know the technology's there, so why isn't it being done? Alison Thulis, MP for Glasgow Central, told us back in the second episode of the Broken Plate series of this podcast why she has been working on the infant food inequalities with an all-party group of MPs since 2015. She says that the government is failing its citizens while manufacturers are creating a sugar-centric, obesogenic society. It's been marketed freely without any kind of constraint uh, on companies. Framing it as being about free choice and framing it as being about nanny state-type um, interventions is just an excuse really because there is a, a health crisis we see this obesity crisis and other countries around the world have looked at this and begun to tackle it in different ways and we should be looking at those countries as exemplars and saying well what can we do here before things get much worse and she says that the government must act and fast to future-proof society against a host of diet-related diseases we need to look here and see what the real value is what the impact is on the nhs as well because it's significant. It's really significant in diabetes and a whole lot of other areas, lifelong conditions. Um, and some of the emerging uh, research that's happening as well. And we need to be looking at this. We can't just say it's up to the food industry to do these things. And it's not just about the smaller steps like reformulation. It has to be a bigger change than that. Thanks for listening. As we head towards the next general election, the Food Foundation is calling on policymakers to recognise the central importance of the food system in shaping the nation's health and wealth. Click on the link to the Food Foundation manifesto in the show notes and make sure you subscribe to this podcast to keep up with the latest analysis on what makes healthy food matter.